What are your plans for 2020? How will your career advance? And what about your fertility and timeline for having kids? No matter what we do, those two things are always a conversation in tandem with one another. We're having children later, but we still don't have information about our bodies. And that's why Modern Fertility was created by my friend Afton, an incredible entrepreneur. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You can mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and any reproductive red flags. The results go in-depth into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today, or maybe one day, you need information to make the decision that's best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash girlboss. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost you at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash girlboss. Modernfertility.com slash girlboss. Hi, it's me, Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss. And this is Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. We've spoken before in the show about how the fashion landscape still has a long, long way to go toward making the industry more diverse and inclusive. And on today's show, you're going to hear my talk with someone who is helping change that landscape for the better. Her name is Alex Waldman, and she set out to disrupt the industry by creating a new standard in fashion by making clothing for women of all sizes. In 2015, Alex, along with Paulina Vexler, launched Universal Standard, the first and only brand to offer clothing for all women, sizes 0 through 40, in one place. Universal Standard does this by taking size out of the equation and reimagining the fit scale altogether. That means doing things like altering labels to reflect the actual sizes of U.S. women. And they also have developed a technical micro-grading fit system that ensures scalable perfection in each size. Here's a little of what Alex shared during our chat. We knew that there was, you know, this unbelievable disparaging difference between the way um, women of a smaller size were being treated versus women of a bigger size, and that it had gone on for far too long, and that we found ourselves in an industry that was not doing well because they were ignoring 70% of, of female shoppers. Stay tuned for my conversation with Alex Waldman. We talk about how she started Universal Standard, how you can make the most out of customer feedback, and what it's really like to start a business with a friend. Alex, thank you for joining me on Girlboss Radio today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And I ask everybody who comes on the show what their first job was. And by first job, I mean you're really accomplished, but by first job, I mean the non-accomplished job. So was it babysitting? Was it working in an ice cream shop? Um, What were some of those early kind of crap jobs that you took on before you moved into your professional career? 
I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Amazing. Yep. (laughs) I could put together a bucket and a barrel and know the difference just by the weight in my hands. Yeah, isn't it amazing how the shorthand you get when you're working with your hands with any yes. kind of like variety of products? I had that at Subway where I, you know, it's exactly six olives on a six inch. Like that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of KFC, this Thanksgiving, I had a big plan for mashed potatoes and then I forgot to buy potatoes. So I postmated KFC potatoes, which are like the best mashed potatoes. <laughs> Good to rely on. It's always there when you need it. Is there anything you learn from working at KFC that you've taken into what it is that you do today? Your first job is always important. It sort of, um, you know, sets the bar uh, that you, hopefully you'll be raising uh, as you move along your lifespan. Um I guess it was the interaction with with strangers, that social contract that you have with people who come in and expect something of you and you're playing a role that you've been hired to play. It was an interesting, um, you know, position to be in um, because I was very young. I mean, I was just old enough to start working part time. I was still in high school. So Um, I think that was one of the things that was good to know. There was a process and there was a a way of interacting and... um, yeah, it was like the social element to it. And you're super multilingual. When did that start? I don't know if I'm super multilingual. English, French, <laughs> English, Russian, French, and Japanese. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, to various degrees, mind you. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I was born in Russia um, or Ukraine to be uh, exactly um, um, accurate. Um, so Russian was my first language. And... Um, my whole family kind of has a facility for languages and I've always been interested in them. Uh, I love English. I mean, everything about the English language interests me. Um, but then I lived in Canada, um, and I lived in, um, Germany and I lived in France and I lived in Japan and I lived in (laughs) Russia afterwards as a, as an adult. So, I was sort of immersed in 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 those environments, and that's where where you learn best. And you were a journalist. I was a journalist. Yes. Were you a multilingual journalist? I was not. Okay. I wrote primarily. Uh, I was a journalist um, at a Japanese national newspaper. Um, I wrote in English, and um, I wrote for publications here, everything from Vice to WWD. What drew you to journalism in the first place? I think it's storytelling in general. Um, I love a good story. Um, and uh, to me, that's just uh, the most natural way to to um, to speak to a multitude. Do you feel like your experience in journalism and storytelling has aided you in building universal standard and marketing? How do those things relate? There's a lot of storytelling in any brand, uh, for me, it's a very personal journey um, that I knew uh, was not just like a singular uh, personal journey. I knew that there would be other people who would be able to relate. Um, so telling the story was a matter of bringing a truth out that others already knew and then bringing a truth out that people were hearing for the first time as well. Um, so it was it was relevant to me personally and it was it was interesting um uh to me and i thought it might be interesting to others as well what do you feel like are the core elements of a good story like is there an arc is there 
Does it need to be emotional? Like what are the things that you've learned are successful both in journalism or maybe just marketing that really cut through the noise for people? I think it's um, you have to start off um, in a place where everyone feels they have been so that they can relate to whatever is going to happen, even if it's uh, completely outside of their personal experience. When you start off with a place that people understand, um, you can really take them on the journey with you. Um, So, yeah, I do believe there's an arc um, and I do believe it's very emotional And um, I think that the best storytellers are the ones who make you feel like you saw a movie. And I mentioned Universal Standard, but just for our listeners who may not know what Universal Standard is, you made the shift from journalism. You founded a company. I want to talk a little bit about that. But what is Universal Standard? Universal Standard is um, a women's apparel company that endeavors to be inclusive across many categories. We are the largest size inclusive brand in the world. We go from a double zero to a 40. But the language that we speak from a brand perspective um, is inclusive beyond sizing. So we really want to be representative of all of us as we are. That is who we are as a brand. And you, your first collection in 2015 sold out in a week. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny to hear it called a collection. Um, (laughs) Why? Because Paulina and I, uh, you know, were uh, the folly of of entering this space or any other with with the unbelievable lack of knowledge that that we had is actually very funny in retrospect. Um, But I suppose that's how a lot of businesses get started. It was the two of us in my one-bedroom apartment trying to decide how to make a pair of jeans. trying to decide, you know, um, if you cut it like, I mean, we had zero knowledge. So um, the fact that we managed to come up with eight pieces that I've always, quote unquote, wanted to have in my wardrobe and and hadn't uh, is miraculous, you know, because we started immediately working with China. We didn't even, you know, um, we knew that in order to survive as a business, it would have to be um, a direct-to-consumer brand. And if that was going to be the case, we'd have to find great collaborators abroad because making it in uh, New York would be very, very difficult um, in terms of price point. So um, we created these eight pieces and uh, we ordered about 3,000 overall from this small capsule collection. And after Refinery29 wrote, found us and wrote an article about us, we sold out in six days. 3,000 pieces is a lot. I've sold a lot of clothes, but across lot. the number of SKUs that you just mentioned, yeah. SKUs. <laughs> Not marketing copy. <laughs> um, yeah. And all of that, if you can imagine, was in my one-bedroom apartment. So we bought a whole bunch of Billy shelving that covered every inch of every wall. And we just crammed everything we could into, I mean, there were, I have photographs that would make you either laugh or cry, I don't know which, but um, yeah, it was, um, it was quite an experience. It's the best problem you can have, you know, and I guess speaking about problems and solutions, it sounds like you were the target customer. What was really the genesis of Universal Standard? Was there an aha moment for you? 
Oh, there were so many aha moments. I mean, as you can imagine, working as a fashion journalist and knowing that nothing you wrote about was ever available to you personally, it gives you a specific perspective. Um, but if I had to like whittle it all down to um, a moment that kind of crystallizes my feeling is I wanted a, a gray quality, normal white t-shirt that didn't have a puppy or a kitten on it. Um, and I couldn't find one. I had to either have flowers or live, love, learn, or some ridiculous saying, you know, the, the it was just awful. I was, I felt like I was being judged by an invisible hand that was making all these decisions about how I was allowed to present myself to the world. And I hated every second of it. So um, we decided to do something about it. Isn't it funny how the way people or the world sees us can really tell us what they think about us and our taste level? I mean, the world was telling you that you had like a, an affinity for pretty dorky t-shirts, right? Which is just like, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, we were either infantilized or hypersexualized or, you know, you were you were getting clothes that made you look like you were going to a perpetual baby shower in like 1992. And it just made you feel like, oh, God, I am none of these people. I'm not going to walk into a bar in Soho wearing yellow palazzo pants. You oh, know, God. why? Who decided that that was what I needed to look like? You know, it was enough that we were comic relief on television. I certainly didn't want to be it in real life. So um, we created a brand that we felt spoke the same language as uh, other mainstream brands and, uh, you know, allowed you to represent yourself in, in a different way. Why the name? We really wanted to do something that was not a play on on anything to do with size. You know, we didn't want to do this, you know, plus curvy nista or curvaceousness or whatever the hell it was. We really wanted to to come up with a name that sounded architectural and industrial almost. Um, and originally, I wanted to call it the standard. Um, but as you know, there's a standard hotel and there's a standard newspaper. So we had to um, think of something else. And uh, Paulina and I sequestered ourselves in my apartment for three whole days and literally just went through the dictionary with ivory standard, gold standard, white standard. I and I thought if I hear the word standard one more time, I'm just going to leave out the window. Uh, but then we got to universal standard and, you know, the light bulb went on. So... Zoom is the best. They didn't invent video conferencing, but they might as well have. They revolutionized it, and I spent half my day on Zoom calls, um, both for audio calls, video calls. It makes it possible for us to collaborate as a team across Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, and Bend, Oregon, where Frankie, our amazing project manager, lives. Um, and Zoom is how we get it done. It ties together all of your communications into one easy app. Group chat webinars and conference rooms all can zoom in to one another for seamless collaboration. Zoom is super easy to use. It's an enterprise-grade video conference room designed for instant collaboration with flawless video and audio 
instant wireless content sharing, and a single tap of a button to start a meeting. And Zoom Phone works seamlessly from any devices as your business phone system to make and receive calls, capture call recordings, and easily elevate from phone call to video if the need arises. Zoom is used by millions to connect around the world. Why wait any longer? Visit Zoom online and set up your free account today. And meet happy with Zoom. And you've mentioned Paulina, your co-founder. Yes. Uh, so tell me about that relationship. You guys were friends before you started the business together. Uh, did you have to set boundaries in the beginning? How has your friendship stayed intact? How have you made sure you've had a healthy working relationship? Has it been challenging? You know, it's it's funny. Um, when we started talking to uh, possible investors, um, what we realized was that people were not super keen on the fact that there were two of us. And which kind of surprised us, but, um, you know, these were experienced people who had seen these kinds of things a million times before. And they're all like, mm, what happens if you have this falling out? And, and, you know, we always said, you know, we could not be more different as human beings. We are literally opposites in almost every conceivable way. The only thing that we have in common is our values. And I really believed then and now that that is the magic formula. Um, I trust Paulina completely. Um, and I know that she trusts me. And uh, the fact that we have such different views and perspectives on things actually gets us to the truth much faster because we work it out by pulling in different directions and then we wind up in a place that makes sense to both of us. So... Um, it's been great in that way. And I cannot, I mean, there wouldn't be a business without her, aside from the fact that she's absolutely the engine that drives this whole thing. Um, I just can't imagine not having her to, um, you know, to listen to me. Um, and I'd like to think that it's, it's, it goes in both directions. And so you mentioned investors. That can be a really challenging process. It can, yes. We started by saying, look, this is not going to be a hobby. We're going to build a company, so this is going to be real or we're not doing it. Go big or go home. And that meant certain things. So the first thing we did was we committed a lot of our own savings to this, which were um, pretty substantial. Um, not a lot of people get to, to kick things off um, in the way that we did without having to depend on anyone else. And then... Um, out of the blue, we had friends come out and say, hey, we really believe in what you're doing. Um, here's a check. Uh, once we got past that, we actually had enough to uh, get people interested. And after that, it was um, it was really amazing, actually. We, we met some phenomenal people, all of who um, understood what we were trying to build and what the value was of bringing this type of thing into the world. Um, very experienced people, and a lot of them entrepreneurs themselves, which was fantastic because they really understand the cadence of building a business. They understand that, you know, it's it's not always up, 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 up. Sometimes it's up, flat, down, up, flat, down. Um, and you also um, have a lot of people who can introduce you to, you know, to to relevant. Uh, producers and relevant um, uh, makers and uh, advisors. So it was phenomenal to get the, the incredible group of investors that we have now. 
And I appreciate your humility, but you've raised eight and a half million dollars. Um, yep, something like that from the founders of SoulCycle, uh, Netaporte, Tom's, Sweetgreen, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Is that right? Uh, yep. Uh, among some others, yes. What? <laughs> it's all true. What was it like when you knew that your deck was getting, you know, circulated to people like that? How did you feel? We felt very lucky, and we felt very. Um, we felt affirmed in a way because we knew that um, we needed the industry to believe in what we were doing and we knew that the consumer would be there, but we were also walking into this without any real experience. And, um, you know, although it served us well, that lack of experience was was really actually important in retrospect. It's not a big selling point when you're trying to raise money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, when people started to show interest um, and more than just interest, when people were saying, yes, I, I want to be part of this, I want to help you do this, I think that's when we um, we felt that, yes, this is going to be a business, a real business. So you had angel investors and individuals interested. Was it hard to walk into the room and pitch sometimes 20 venture capitalists, and and it, it, especially when it's something that you'd never done before. So I had never done that before. Paulina had. Uh, she was um, she worked in private equity before this, and you know, in investment banking. So she's she's a very experienced financial professional. Um, she warned me. I was very naive. I was like, "This is going to be fun. It's going to be so interesting." She's like, "No, it's not going to be fun." Uh, it was fascinating to to walk into those rooms and to hear the questions and to see the perspectives. It also really allowed us to be able to answer all the hard questions until it got to the point where there wasn't a single question that was a surprise. It was really difficult to ask us a question that we were not prepared for because we really knew um, what we were talking about. Perhaps not from a manufacturing perspective, all of that was a big learning curve. But we deeply understood the space and the consumer um, because of our own personal experience. And I've heard that and I've been told that and I think I kind of have done this where and I don't know if you've heard about this you go out and practice on like the first meetings you have are with investors that you're not super stoked on just to hear what their questions are and practice on them and then kind of work up to pitching to the people that you're you really really want to nail it with have you heard that oh yes we did that yeah um i think paulina is an incredibly practical person so and she she is a huge believer in in practice 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 i'm much more sort of off the cuff um but we went to a couple of these just so that we had some notion of what to expect and it was very um soul crushing (laughs) in many ways, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, when you're sitting in a room full of, um, you know, investors who are, and we're not talking like, you know, big professional firms or anything like that. Um, But you have, you know, a 56 year old man, look at your, um, your book and say something like, you know, your models aren't smiling. Why aren't your models smiling? And I was like, when was the last time you looked at a magazine? Like, 
in his world, you know, it was all about and 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 where are the flowers? Like my my wife would never buy this. There are no flowers. Nobody's smiling. Um, these models look miserable, <laughs> and um, it just goes to show you how binary the world of fashion is. There are certain expectations of women of a certain size and very different expectations of women of, of another size. You know, you're meant to be jolly and smiling and staring into the middle space and maybe holding a glass of champagne for no reason whatsoever. Um, there are these kinds of um, uh, archetypes, these kinds of, you know, calcified ideas about what women should look like. Um, that we really found we would have to uh, prepare ourselves to argue with and to explain that that is not at all how it works, that all women have the same influences. We watch the same shows. We reach the, read the same magazines. We walk past the same windows. We are looking at the same stuff. Why are you speaking to us in completely different languages? How many of them said they need to go home and get their wife's opinion? <laughs> no one actually said that they all they all felt very comfortable um that they knew their wife's opinion okay oh, um great <laughs> which is classic so they don't have an it's funny how a lot of the male venture capitalists just don't have a opinion then they just yeah you know there is a lot of i don't know anything about fashion conjure um but, but uh we got past that pretty quickly um and you know to be perfectly honest very happily, there were a lot of women in the room um, when we spoke to various interested parties. So that was nice to see. What? I mean, you've really learned, you know, trial by fire with everything that it is that you're doing. What are some things that you think are really important when, you know, an entrepreneur walks into a room to pitch an investor? What are the qualities that you think are really necessary to drive that home? I think you really need to believe in what you're doing. I know this sounds like the kind of stuff that everyone says, but there is real truth in that. You need to know what you're talking about, and you need to understand that you are bringing something into being that needs to exist, and you need to be able to explain why, even to people who don't necessarily agree with you. Um, so we felt quite strongly about this. We knew that there was, you know, this unbelievable, uh, disparaging difference between the way, um, women of a smaller size were being treated versus women of a bigger size and that it had gone on for far too long and that, um, we found ourselves in an industry that was not doing well because they were ignoring 70% of, of female shoppers, who, by the way, don't just shop for themselves. They come in and they shop for their husbands and their children and their other people in their family. Um, everything was broken. And we really, truly felt that this was one of those things, you know, if you fix this, everything else begins to feel more stabilized and more sensical. So we felt quite confident that we could explain our story and and make a very strong argument about why it was important to do this. Um, so there's there's nothing that replaces that. And your bio says the following about Universal Standard. Quote, the brand has taken size out of the equation, reimagining the fit scale and altering labels to reflect the actual sizes of U.S. women. What does that mean? So 
interestingly enough, even though most people um, want to talk about size when they talk um, to um, any of us at Universal Standard, the reason we did double zero to 40 is actually not to have that conversation. We thought if we make all the sizes, then let's just talk about access. It becomes about, you know, getting to wear clothes, which is such a fundamental thing. Um, and then we started to look at how those the nomenclature of that clothing, which is also very emotional and psychological. And we started to look at statistically how many women were of what size. And we we knew, intrinsically we knew, but there was proof that in the United States, a medium is not a size eight. It just isn't. Walk down the street. Um, so what it actually was is a size 18, 20. And once we made the 1820, the medium, which it actually is in the United States, everything else fell into place. So we had this medium, and to either side of that, we had all the sizes that went from double zero to 40. Um, so we are trying to show the world that it's very important to... This is not about vanity sizing. This is about representation of women as they actually are in the world. And once you look at it through that lens, it changes a lot of things. It changes a vast amount of things. So you're walking down the street and the only representation of womanhood you you see, you know, are the Bellas and the Gigi's and the, um, you automatically start to judge yourself um, by how far you are from those archetypes. And the further away you are from a Bella Hadid or a Gigi Hadid, who are, you know, gorgeous women, don't get me wrong, they're, they're stunning, but they cannot be the only representations of beauty out there. There's a much broader scale of, of, of beauty, and it certainly doesn't reflect a vast, vast majority of women in the United States. And um, we thought if we really took the sizing for what it is rather than how it's been shown uh, historically in fashion, I think that a lot of things would change. And what kind of feedback have you gotten from your customers about this concept? A lot of delight um, and a lot, to some extent, a lot of misunderstanding. I think there's a tendency to think of this as... Um, vanity sizing, which ironically it isn't. It is actually much more representative of the truth than anything we've seen before. Um, but, you know, we get comments like, oh my gosh, I can't remember the last time I was an extra small, or wow, I'm a medium, I can't believe it. Um, but it only goes to show you how attached we are to those little numbers on those little tags in the backs of our dresses. It's remarkable to see how women view themselves and how they how harshly they judge themselves by those little letters and numbers on the inside of their clothing that no one else sees. I mean, you know, if a size six has become a size eight, you know, we've had women cut the label out because they just couldn't face the fact that they're a size eight. This is not a big woman problem. It's a woman problem. It is. So. It truly is. I don't think any of us are really immune to it. And as much as we talk about body confidence, it's something that we all 
struggle with, um, no matter yeah. how much we're boasting on social media that we're proud of what our body looks like. It doesn't matter what size we are. We're all grappling with it. And it's pretty fucked up. Well, the fact that we have to, you know, make noise about it tells you something, you know, and there's a reason why we feel this way. We've always been told that there is, um, that this is beautiful and this is not. And, you know, how far you are from what is considered beautiful is how you judge yourself. Running a business is enough of a challenge. Securing extra cash flow doesn't have to be through Bluevine. Getting a credit line is fast, easy, and simple. And if you don't know what Bluevine is, it's an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit for up to $250,000. Whether you need money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, or pay a surprise expense, Bluevine can help you and your business stay secure. There's no fee to set up your line of credit, and Bluevine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is easy. Just go online to getbluevine.com slash girlboss. Fill out a few simple details, and you're done with your application within minutes. And seeing an offer will not affect your credit score. Once approved, funds can be received in as fast as 24 hours. Accelerate your business in ways that you can't otherwise with Bluevine. For listeners of the show, Bluevine is offering a special limited time promotion of a hundred dollar gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Bluevine. Go to getbluevine.com slash girlboss for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com that's g-e-t-b-l-u-e-v-i-n-e.com slash girlboss and apply. That's quick and easy meaningful help to your business in as little as 24 hours. This promotional offer is subject to terms and conditions that can be found at getbluevine.com slash girlboss. And another amazing thing that your company does is something called the Fit Liberty Program, where from what I hear, if your size changes after you buy the product, you can exchange it for your new size. Is that How does that work? So we call it the Fit Liberty Program, and it came about because we would have women come into our showroom. I mean, we're a direct-to-consumer brand, so most of our interaction is done through the computer. But once we started to open... Um, uh, showrooms, one in Seattle, one in New York, we actually started to see the customers themselves. And we saw a lot of patterns repeating over and over. Women would look at themselves in the mirror and they would judge themselves so harshly. And it was like, oh, you know, I started a diet yesterday, so I'm going to be Naomi Campbell in two weeks. Um, that's That's the me I'm going to buy for. Or you know what? I'm I'm not going to buy this because th this this reflection that I see in the mirror is not worth it. I'm going to wait until I'm a better version of myself. And we just could just see that bully beating the crap out of them. Um and recognize it yourself. Um I certainly did in myself. So we thought how can we shut this down? Like what do we need to do? And we thought look, buy for the size you are exactly now. Uh, you know, change in either direction, gain weight, lose weight, whatever it is, you have a year. Wear it for a year, enjoy it for a year. If you find that it no longer fits for whatever reason, just return it and we'll give you your brand new size for free. Because these are really good quality clothes, this is not fast fashion, it has a second and a third life. So we decided to work with two 
um, fantastic organizations. One um, is called um, Dress for Success. The other is called First Step, which is part of the Coalition for the Homeless. And all of those things that come back to us through the Fit Liberty program go to those two charities um, that allow women to get back up on their feet um, and into the workforce and keep these clothes out of the landfills. And it just created this perfect little um, ecosystem. <laughs> so we knew we had something um, that was worth pursuing. It sounds expensive. You know, there's one thing that we've learned um, – and this, this goes across a lot of other things. Um, a lot of the things that we do are expensive, but we have never, ever experienced that generosity is wasted on our customers. The amount of, um, the amount of, of uh, customer loyalty that these kinds of programs um, encourage is incredible. Our repeat purchases are through the roof. They're way outside of industry standards um, because people feel like, you know, we take care of them, which we try very hard to do. And that's ex that's incredibly important in any business where you have, I mean, every business has a customer of some sort, which is, you know, often you give something away to them, you have to be really generous, and then they realize what the value is that you're bringing to their life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then they come to you and you don't have yeah. to market to them. Yes, there's nothing like generosity to to make someone feel at ease, you know, like they don't they're not you know, we often get like okay, well what's the catch here? How does this work? What do I have to actually and and there's no catch. There's no catch. There's just peace of mind um in the knowledge that you can be in whatever body you're going to be in and that you don't have to respend that money if it's a a product that you really love because your body has changed. And in knowing that that's going to go and help someone else and in knowing that it's not going to be in a landfill, it just it just made sense across so many categories. That's good for the world for you, for your weight to fluctuate, which it does. It just does. <laughs> it just it does. does for all of us. Um, and we just started doing this for pregnant women as well. Um, so we just thought, you know, why do you have to buy pregnancy clothes? Why don't you just buy clothes for when you're pregnant? Um, we have amazing fabrics. We have... Uh, uh, wonderful stretch, and we have the Fit Liberty program, so why not take advantage of it um, during this particular time of your life? Yes, there is customers coming to you and generosity, but first you have to get their attention. How have you marketed this brand? How do people find you? How do you find them? How do you target the woman who is the right woman for, which is really kind of every woman, it sounds like, a universal standard? Well, to be honest with you, uh, to this day, our best marketing technique is still word of mouth um, because when somebody likes something, they're just going to tell someone else about it. Um, so um, as we get more sophisticated and the company grows, of course, we, um, we invest in marketing. Um, but primarily, it has to be the reputation of the brand and the fact that people love it. That's really how how people learn about the brand. There's so much to learn when you become an entrepreneur and so much more to learn when you don't have an MBA or, you're, you know, you didn't come up in an entrepreneurial world or no one's really groomed you for that. You're, you know, you made the, the leap from journalism to entrepreneurship, which is, you know, and, and fashion, which is pretty huge. What have you learned about managing people and building teams 
what were your conceptions when you founded the company? What have you learned over the years that leadership really means? Um, I think we've learned that this is probably the most difficult part of building a business, um, that the people you bring on board to help you do that are everything. Um, and that, um, you know, perhaps the people that you hire when you're a $2 million business are not the people who are going to take you to the $50 million business mark. Um, but everything else you can learn, but bringing the right people on board, um, is a real, um, partly skill, partly chance. Uh, we've been incredibly fortunate um, and our biggest secret for that really has been to hire smart people because we believe that you can learn anything if it's explained properly. Obviously, now that we've reached a certain level with our company, we're bringing on board true professionals, C-suite level, you know, CMO, COO, um, and it's changing the business. It's changing what universal standard is, how it looks, how it operates. And it's a revelation. It's been fantastic to see. Every year as an entrepreneur, CEO, your job description completely changes. What was it like two years ago versus what it's like today? I think two years ago, um, it was a lot more trial and error. Now that we have some incredible professionals on board, um, it becomes much more about you know, the creative vision being close to what I might envisage it to be, um, rather than flapping about a little bit and, and seeing how something might or might not work. There's a lot more certainty to it. Um, and there's a lot more, um, skill. I mean, the people who are working for us now are really and truly amazing at what they do. And there's so much trial and error, right? Uh, there is so much with trial everything and error. in life, right? Not just entrepreneurship. And we hope that we continue committing errors, um, so yeah, that we can. It's very true. Continue to learn. Is there what's your, what is your largest error been over the course of your career? You know, I was recently asked that. Um, I'll tell you what my my biggest lesson has been. My biggest lesson has been that when you're trying to make a decision and you're deciding between something that scares the crap out of you and something that feels stable and sound, always go for the one that scares the crap out of you because that is where all the good stuff lies. You will want to lean towards the comfort of that stable, you know, knowing, known kind of element. But always, if you can, whatever, whenever there's a fork in the road, always take that road that seems like you have absolutely no idea where it's going to go. Um, but it's, it's exciting and there are possibilities there. What was an example of one of those face plants for you? For me, um, let's see. I've I've had so many face plants. I mean, um, but it always turned out well because because I did the scarier thing. Whether it was to move from one city to another, or to move from one country to another, or to take a risk. I remember when I first got to Japan, 
And that first moment that, you know, the hoopla of, you know, people picking you up at the airport and dropping you off at your house and everyone's so excited. And I stood there in this tiny, tiny space that was going to be my home for two years. And I thought, what in the hell was I thinking? What, how did I get here? This is insane. Um, and then, you know, it takes on a life of its own and you learn and you grow and, and it becomes the best thing you've ever done. So there are a lot of those moments um, where you kind of think this was a really big mistake. But even that big mistake, you know, is a reason that something phenomenal happens afterwards. What would you say your biggest career victory has been to date? Uh, probably partnering with my uh, business partner. <laughs> she is um, extraordinary. Um, and I am very, very fortunate to to have gone into this with Paulina. Um, and also just, just um, all the other people who have joined our team. Um, that is the stuff that makes everything else happen. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. So what's next? What's next? Next is the hardest part. It's easy to start a business. It's hard to scale a business. So we are really going to concentrate on becoming the best at what we do and then make sure that there is more newness and more uh, revolution, which is something that we bring um, to the to the market. I really want this is not about size. This is about access. And all of the things from Fit Liberty to see it in your size, which is another thing that we kind of invented, which is now being ad adopted by a lot of different companies. I think that all of those things leading from the front are going to be industry changing. And I think that all brands that um, can see that writing on the wall are going to be the ones that make it through. And those that take too long to consider the risk in it um, are going to have a hard time catching up. Well, that sounds like success to me, but we all have different versions of success, right? And, and it changes. Absolutely. What we consider success for ourselves today is different, hopefully different than what it is that we consider success in our lives tomorrow. What is success? What does it mean to you right now? Right now, it means, um, to be perfectly honest, I think right now it means just becoming part of um, mainstream culture or culture changing um, point of the spear sort of thing. We really want people to think of Universal Standard as a brand that has come into a space in order to really fix something that is broken. And that can be done in a million different ways and everyone can participate and it's a win-win for absolutely everyone involved. Uh, but we are going to continue waving that flag and saying things have to change, things have to change, here's how you change them. Whether it's by working with J. Crew or um, our collection with Adidas or our work with Goop or whatever it is, we want to bring newness to the space in a way that reflects what is coming, uh, this new normal that is much broader in terms of what's, what's attractive and what's interesting and what can be done, because it really, it, it's, 
it includes all of us. Um, it's not just the the few unicorns that that have been pedestalized until now. Girl boss moments have been a thing here on Girl Boss Radio for a long time, and a girl boss moment is just a time in your most recent kind of history that you're really proud of, and it could be professional, it could be personal, it could be tiny, it could be I bought new sneakers and it made me feel great and they're clean, or it could be you know we partnered with J Crew, which is incredible. What was your most recent girl boss moment, Alex? I suppose one of the things that I that still boggles my mind is that we have you know, five stores across the country. We just, I mean, it feels like we started this yesterday and we've created these amazing community spaces. And when I see all the goings on in those spaces and all the people who get involved and, and do amazing things, it never fails to to surprise and delight me um, that people, that we've created something that that people can participate in so wholeheartedly. It's incredible when, you know, in fashion, when you sell direct to consumer, when you sell only online, you know that you're making people happy. You know they're buying your product, but you never really get to see them experience it or try it on and look at themselves in the mirror, walk out of the store with a bag that has your name on it. And once we did that at Nasty Gal, and I'm sure it feels the same for you, it was just so gratifying to really put faces to these orders, you know, which can sometimes just feel really inhuman and um, and being able to see and touch and talk to your customer and get their feedback all day every day is like a really special thing and what you're doing is really hard um, so I just want to congratulate you on everything that you've achieved uh, I absolutely love universal standard and I learned a lot on today's episode so thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much it's been a pleasure That's it for our show this week. A big thank you to Alex for sharing her story with us. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. Thank you also for downloading and streaming and sharing Girl Boss Radio each week. I love to see your Insta stories and screenshots. I share them. The Girl Boss account shares them and love seeing all of your comments on social as well. So be sure to share your love of Girl Boss Radio. You can also leave a review. Make sure that you subscribe and share Girl Boss Radio on the text or the DMs with your friends. Okay, that's it from me. I'll talk to you next week.